What's up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the cool stuff happening. Usually new tech, usually talking directly to the builders, building this new cool stuff, making Bitcoin more productive. I'm your host, Jacob Brown. Today, I have Matthew Black on the podcast. Matthew is the co-founder and CTO of Atomic Finance. Her tagline is sound finance for sound money. And that's what they're doing. After all the craziness of BlockFi, Celsius, where everyone's trying to chase juicy yield to make their crypto asset, you know, 100x, and maybe you can get a more yield on top of that. Uh, it all went bust because of lack of transparency and accountability. And so they're trying to build a better financial system through using proper L1 tech. And this first instantiation of their product is an iOS app powered by DLCs, discrete log contracts, which I think you're going to see a lot more, and I'm definitely going to keep harping on it, that it's a really nice balance of creating safe infrastructure. It's on L1, it's live, and it's just now starting to see. So you're seeing the Hero Wallet now supports DLCs, Atomic Finance doing what they're doing, Deep Lake and Liquidium are doing cool stuff with, with uh, Ordinals. So... I think DLCs are really coming into their time. So I had to get Matt on. We cover a ton of topics. I was curious about his background because uh, he's a young kid. So he's been in Bitcoin for close to a decade now, I think, because uh, he found it in high school. So very cool to see. Uh, we talk about the best place to get into Bitcoin if you want to build on Bitcoin and be a dev. Where would he, where would he go? We talk about the complexities of kind of bleeding at the bleeding edge of Bitcoin, building on things like DLC and a bunch of other topics. So this one was fantastic. I love the way they built out this app and built a very specific use case um, that's just a pleasure to use. I think there needs to be more Bitcoin designed like this. So without further ado, let me stop rambling and show this great conversation with Matthew Black is co-founder of Atomic Finance. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Matt, how are you doing there, my man? I'm I'm doing great. Excited to be here. And likewise, I, I like what you guys are building and we're gonna talk a lot about atomic finance and and uh sound money needing sound finance, which I, I love that tagline. But maybe just to jump off, um, you know, you guys popped up on my radar recently and got to know Tony a little bit. Don't know much about you. So I'd love to just do like a little brief background into to that and how you got here. I should probably start like, how did I originally get into Bitcoin? Um, funny enough, it was actually my dad that introduced me to Bitcoin way back in 2014. So he's a bit of a, a gold bug. And so, you know, something like Bitcoin was really interesting to him because it's kind of this asset that exists outside of the purview of government, which is, you know, exactly what he was looking for. And so um, I was actually at the time I was in I was in high school. I didn't really know much about money. I was just, I was. Uh, but it's funny because my dad's non-technical. Right. So I was more, you know, technical minded. I was programming uh, at the time. And so I was just managing his Bitcoin for him. And then fast forward, I, I kind of forgot about Bitcoin for a couple of years, got back, you know, into the space in, in 2017, 2018. 
And this is where I was at university, University of Waterloo. And this is actually where me and my co-founder met, Tony. Uh, we were roommates at the time. And basically, I wouldn't shut up about Bitcoin to him. I was like, hey, like this stuff is really cool. And in particular, um, you know, what, like we went to University of Waterloo. And so that was kind of the, the founding place of Ethereum. And so we actually ended, going, ended up going down that road, you know, into the whole like, hey, DeFi uh, is really interesting. Why can't you, you know, just have access to financial tools with an, you know, internet connection? We eventually, you know, realized that, you know, we really weren't that happy with what was being built in Ethereum and came full circle back to Bitcoin. And now we're building, you know, financial tools for, for Bitcoin only. Um, you know, it became, yeah, I guess, Bitcoin maximalist in the process. And so, yeah. I love it. Did you say, so in 2014, you were in high school doing programming, uh, and then 27, 2018, you were in, at university doing the same? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to run this by because this, this hit me recently, which is, um, there's kind of a gripe that people have against the younger crowd of like, they're ideological. And so they want, they see the world a different way. They have fresh eyes. Um, but they lack practicality is what they'll say. And it's kind of bracketed against the fact that when you're young, you don't have a network really, you don't have resources, you're not in positions of power. So typically the best they could do is like complain, protest, X, Y, Z thing. And it struck me recently that coding or Bitcoin specifically, but crypto in general is like the first time where person of any age, but really let's say the younger crowd who has these fresh eyes can bring the future they want to into existence just through their computer and literally change, like bring property rights to, you know, billions of people, change money. Um, so I was curious of your, of your stance on that. Like, how do you feel about that as someone who's at an early age, you know, uh, been building in this area? Yeah, I think in general, a lot of, um, I think there's two parts of it, right? There's a lot of, I guess, folks that are um, my age and, uh, you know, even when I was, you know, younger, you know, back in university, had a certain view on the on the world that I think Bitcoin has obviously changed and you end up going down the rabbit hole. But I think there, you know, there's, it's one of those things where Bitcoin's kind of the first place where you can, um, you know, the, the world is constantly changing around you and going in different directions and, and I think really like my generation is really the generations that's that's going to be the most affected by the by the fiat scheme, right? They're the ones that are gonna, you know, be the poorest, the poorest generation, basically. And Bitcoin's really a way to kind of fight against that. And programming's really a way for you to be able to build whatever you want, you know, with the tools at your fingertip. Um and I and I think this is really the case for a lot of folks. But I think one of the areas where people um especially programmers, I think get lost is that um, they get focused on the what and not on the why, right? What is the why of Bitcoin? You know, we don't need a money printer anymore. Um, this, you know, sound, sound money, right? There's a, there's a, a, a supply cap on Bitcoin. Um, the fact that it's decentralized, like all of these aspects are super important to the why of Bitcoin. And there's a lot of programmers that get focused on the what. Right. Like, oh, it doesn't have these capabilities or you can't do X, Y, Z with it. Or I'm going to build a better Bitcoin by doing this. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost. Um, I, I spoke to a NASA engineer the other day and um, he was literally telling me, he's like, oh, you know, uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't know why everyone's not using um, uh, this other uh, Cardano, right? It's written in Haskell. It's such a better programming language. Uh, and, and this guy's working on the lunar rover. And, and so, you know, really, really smart guy, but not too focused on the what. And so I think for young people, it's important to, to do your reading, right? Read the Bitcoin standard and understand the why behind Bitcoin. Otherwise, you might make a lot of progress, but you might be focused on the wrong things. Mm. Well said. And so for the why, just to hear in your own words, what, what is the why that people are missing when it comes to, comes to Bitcoin or versus another cryptocurrency that sounds alluring? I think the why that they're missing is it's not so much about like um, the programmability of Bitcoin. It's the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's sound, right? So I think it's the monetary properties that they're missing. The fact that it can't be easily changed. The fact that there's a supply cap. The fact that, you know, when, when you're, you know, if you're building a financial layer, you need the underlying properties to be sound. You can't have it constantly changing underneath you or the rules are being changed. And I th think that as the foundation is really what people are, are missing. They're too focused on, you know, what is the newest and greatest thing rather than what is the thing that's going to keep my capital safe and what's going to allow me to keep that capital safe and, and create generational wealth that's going to be able to be passed down because it's really the best money that's ever been created for humanity. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's what they're missing. Got it. Um, I want to I want to delve into what you mean by sound finance because I just had a conversation with Adon Yago last week, and there's something about like I'll ask a question, and you could tell just by the way that like they almost reframe the question quickly and they go to like a first principles thinking of like what is money and this dude, they'll do a whole thing. Um, and what one moment that happened with me and him is like I was like, how do we get mass adoption to Bitcoin? And he was like, what does that even mean, mass adoption? And like, that wasn't a part of the question I ever thought about. I was just like, it means more people, everyone, you know, duh. And we don't think deep on these things. Uh, so when it comes to sound finance, like we know sound money is like the thing of, it's the, it has a certain sound to it. It's so, you know, it peer, these kind of things. When you talk about sound, sound finance, like what are the elements of that that uh, are essential for like building this base layer that is necessary for the next financial system? Well, I think that in general, um, we should bring it back to what what is the ethos of Bitcoin in the first place, right? One of the ethos that a lot of Bitcoiners talk about is um, self custody, right? Like one of the main one of the great things that came with Bitcoin is that you can custody it yourself. You don't need to rely on the third party. You don't need to worry about a bank coming in and taking your money. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, as as Bitcoiners rightly should. Most people keep like the majority of their you know stack in cold storage, and then okay, well then what's what's next after that? Well, you maybe have payments, right? For any type of money to succeed, you need payments. We have Lightning Network. We can pay people in a you know non-custodial manner, and we could take self-custody of our um, our payments infrastructure, um, and it's open to anyone on the internet. Anyone can access that. But then what's the next question? Okay, well we can do payments. We can you know store well. But how do we do financial tools, right? How do we hedge? How do we, um, you know, Bitcoin's volatile. How do we get stability? How do we, how do we get these financial instruments that exist in the traditional world? Well, right now, you need to go to an exchange for that, right? You need to go to, um, you know, BitMEX. You need to go to, maybe you went to FTX last year. I literally talked to a company recently in Canada, and they were hedging using BitMEX. Then they were banned from using BitMEX because they were Canadian. And then they started using FTX and they lost a portion of their balance sheet 
just because they were trying to hit. And so to me, it seems like for a sound, you know, if we're going to have a sound financial layer for Bitcoin, it needs to uh, have as many properties of Bitcoin as possible to make sure that that folks don't get rugged at the end of the day. Like we should be trying to build tools that make sure that, you know, if you're using this, that you have a, you have a self-custody as much as you possibly can to make sure you're not encountering, you know, those additional risks. And I think with something like Bitcoin, this is even more important because in the traditional world, you always have a backstop, right? You have a lender of last resort. There's no lender of last resort in Bitcoin. Um, there's no, you know, if that Bitcoin gets stolen or you get rugged, there's no getting it back. There's no legal proceedings for getting that back. And so it's even more important to have, um, you know, those those properties, I think, within the sound financial layer. Right. Yeah, I basically think the the thing the NASA person gets wrong as well is like, and maybe Ethereum as well, is you want, as you go up the stack, um, unless the tools get good enough, you have to make some trade-offs, you know? So Lightning will have trade-offs. DLCs have trade-offs. Everyone have trade-offs, but the base layer should be as robust as possible. And then once you get like the fourth or fifth level, then maybe you could consider like, you deploy some BTC wrapped onto Cardano and it's super whatever the heck you want to talk about. And you could go do stuff over there. Like it's at that fifth level. It's not the base layer. Um, but I like, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I think, well, I think, um, you make certain trade-offs as you go up the stack, but I think like retaining as many, it's about retaining as many properties as possible, right? Like if you don't have to do wrapped Bitcoin or you don't have, like if you can do it in a manner where like um, you still have as many properties of Bitcoin as possible, like DLCs, for example, you need to trust an Oracle, right? And that's absolutely necessary because you need external price data for that. But um, but you don't, you don't need to give away like full custody of your Bitcoin that you can just be rubbed. So making sure along those layers that we're retaining as many properties as possible, I think is is essential. Hundred percent, yeah. And that's where you start to get into the dance of um, robustness, like security, but then UX, because you know, typically uh, the things that are most secure are going to have increased friction, and that's why they're secure. And so when you abstract things away, that's when you introduce UX uh, easiness at the cost of something else. And so I, that's where I, Maybe that's a good, we have a good foundation we're building on as far as like sound money, these kind of things. Um, so I'd love to start jumping into what you guys are building specifically and kind of dance around in, in these weeds here. So let's start with the origin story of like, so you and Tony went to college together. You were, were you already building, like, give me the, give me the brief breakdown of like, you were building, you were building in crypto. How did that come, come together? And then the decision to move into Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. So we were we were originally building, um, essentially we were, we were building a cross-chain product. We wanted to allow for folks to be able to get access to Bitcoin-backed loans and um, as trustless a manner as possible. And we were building this cross-chain. And at the time, we really weren't that happy with what was being built in Ethereum. There was a lot of folks doing ICOs, a lot of folks doing governance tokens, um, as well as, um, we had an increasing feeling that the, you know, the surface area for a CAC for something like a smart contract, like using EVM, um, you know, was fairly high, you know. Uh, and so at the time that all that was happening, we started learning more about DLCs. Uh, a couple of companies in the space were building 
using financial primitives directly on Bitcoin itself. And this was really exciting to us. And so um, we actually decided to make the jump um, uh, after, you know, Tony read the, the Bitcoin standard and I did as well. And we just decided like, hey, um, you know, this is kind of the base layer that's going to exist for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Why don't we start building on top of this layer? And so that's really where we made the leap over to DLCs. Now, what is a DLC? A DLC is just a, a financial primitive directly on Bitcoin itself on chain. So it's a Bitcoin Oracle contract, right? So you can do things like bets, futures contracts, options contracts. Um, and obviously you need to trust an Oracle for that, but um, your Bitcoin is actually uh, locked directly on chain um, in essentially a two of two, of two multi-sig, obviously with off-chain data. So it's very similar to Lightning. And so we thought to ourselves, well, what's the simplest thing we can try out? Um, betting, right? So we actually did a, 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 um, kind of an example application. We built Atomic Odds that allowed for people to actually bet on the U.S. election. And that went really well. People were excited about it. And we're like, well, what's the, what's the thing that people are most interested? Well, everyone wants to make a return on their Bitcoin. How can we make a way for people to be able to earn a return on their Bitcoin um, in a transparent manner? And that's where we got to what we're building now, which allows for you know, passive strategies that allows, allows for folks to make a return on their Bitcoin um, using, using cover calls. Got it. Okay. Um, trying to decide if I want to go into the app or more into DLCs. I think I want to keep it on DLCs for a little bit. So, you know, we're focused on builders here, and I'm always fascinated by programming is a big, a big um, industry, and Web two still dominates most of that talent, and then Web three is getting some of it, and then even smaller is the Bitcoin builders, which are like very high conviction but there's just nowhere near enough of them. And so uh, how has it been building on Bitcoin and maybe more specifically with DLCs where there isn't that many, it's been out for a couple of years, I think at least live on mainnet, and you really haven't seen that many applications launch. You're probably the first really user-friendly one. And there's new ones with like ordinals coming out just in the past six months. Um, so yeah, how's that experience been? And like, why do you think is it so slow? Is it because of complexity? Is it something else? Curious. I think in general, um, the first thing you have to think about is if you look at something like Ethereum, there's a lot of like developers that exist there because it's very easy to kind of um, get exit liquidity, right? It's very easy to go out there, uh, build it, you know, create a token, um, you know, launch it, and then like you've got a project and it doesn't really matter if you maintain it. And so a lot of, there's a lot of developer share that's just existing in kind of that uh, pump and dump scheme. Um, but the other thing as well is in general, it's very, um, it's a lot more challenging to build in Bitcoin. You know, like when we made the, when we made the leap, a lot of the infrastructure wasn't built out, right? If you think about something like Ethereum and you've got a smart contract, um, it takes care of the liveliness requirements. It takes care of, um, you know, this functionality or that functionality. You've got to go build all that from scratch with Bitcoin, right? There's no, um, there's no like Infura for, for Bitcoin, right? Um, and rightly so, everyone should run their own node, right? And so uh, when we first started, we had to go through those hurdles and figure out, okay, first off, how do we make this a really easy user experience? There's no MetaMask for Bitcoin. We had to create our own wallet to make that, si uh, that process simple. Um, we had to, you know, get familiar with DLCs. We had to figure out, you know, what are the kind of uh, security parameters that people are concerned about, do education, right? Everyone already knows how to use all these other tools, but people don't know how to do that with Bitcoin. How many Bitcoiners even know what a DLC is? 
And so all of these are really challenging. But I think that once you can overcome those, once you overcome those initial like challenges, then, uh, and you can make a really easy user experience for people to be able to access these tools and they feel secure with it. I think that's where it becomes really exciting. And this is where I think the financial layer for Bitcoin can come from. If we can build those really simple um, tools for folks to be able to get access um, uh, to, to these financial tools on Bitcoin, then that's where I think we can see a lot of growth and, and scale of um, you know, these financial primitives. Or, so we're gonna dance around here, but I wanna stick on the, on the, on the builder part. I wanna try and attract more people. So if, if you are new, and I ask this a lot, it's everyone gives different answers. For if you're if you're a friend who was in Web two and wanted to jump into Bitcoin building, where would you point them? Or would you have to ask for clarifying questions and be like, Do you want to build on Lightning? Do you want to build like where are you gonna build? Like how how would you approach that? I think I would want to know like what areas is the most interesting to them because I think there's a few areas in Bitcoin, you know, if if someone has comes from like a social media background, then like building on Noster is really interesting. And I wouldn't want to point them away from that. But I think really that, you know, the three areas that are the most interesting to me are really Noster, Lightning, DLCs. Um, and I think in general, what I would recommend is I think there's a really great ecosystem that's being built, built out in uh, the Rust ecosystem right now. Bitcoin Development Kit, BDK, Lightning Development Kit, like LDK, Rust DLC, um, and, and I think that ecosystem is really going to allow for these type of tools to flourish long time, long term. Um, there was kind of a need, I think, in general of, hey, like, why isn't there just open markets for things like DLCs, right? Like, why isn't there just a futures market or a, um, a options market for, um, you know, in, in Bitcoin? Like, those things don't exist yet. And I think there's a lot more applications that need to be built out in this open source space. So. And the other thing, too, is I think that most of these tools that are going to be built are going to rely on, in, at least in the short term, are going to rely on Lightning. Um, so I would get really familiar with that and, and then start moving into, like, what type of application you want to build. Because, you know, at any time, the, the on-chain fees can spike dramatically and you're going to need, um, you know, Lightning support. So, um, and the other thing, too, is I think, I think people need to realize, too, is uh, when we started there weren't that many tools built, right? There weren't that many libraries that were built out for things like DLCs or even Lightning. And now those things are becoming that much more accessible. And so there's never been a greater time than now to start, you know, um, dipping your toes um, into Bitcoin development or Lightning development or or whatever is the most interesting to you. Got it. So it sounds like the, the lowest hanging fruit is Learn Rest because it gives you so much coverage. It costs so much burgeoning... Uh, ecosystems. I, I think I've heard like even Fetty is building on Rust, so you get exposure to that ecosystem, which is very new and coming online. So that, that's yeah. Point and even like even like the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not personally, I'm not a huge huge fan of ordinals, but if that's your thing, then like obviously the the original Ord wallet was written in Rust as well, and so you know that's just another thing. It's like the Rust ecosystem is becoming, um, you know, really a foundation. You know, there's Bitcoiners out there that literally ask the question, well, you know, what if Bitcoin Core was written in Rust? And so, uh, you know, that's where everything's being built. <laughs> got it. Got it. Uh, what, what's your beef with ordinals? I think um, I think with ordinals in general, uh, it's like, you know, block space is a very, like, scarce resource, obviously. And so um, I think Bitcoin was developed for a very specific purpose. Right. Bitcoin was developed for um, 
I don't know if the term is not digital cash, but it was de developed as a form of money. And and so um, when you when we think of Bitcoin, we think of it in that terms. And so in general, um, a lot of people say, oh, well, you have the, the free market folks to say, hey, ordinals should be built. You should be able to use them. Um, but I think in general, it's it's also it's also in a certain aspect a bit of a, a bug because like, well, if you're a free market thinker, um, you know, you could also think, hey, anything should be able to be built on Bitcoin. But really, Bitcoin is designed for very specific purposes, right? So it's not it's not just it's not designed to be AWS, right? You're not going to put everything on the chain itself. We're not going to, you know, we generally shouldn't have super big blocks um, because, you know, then everyone's not able to verify things using their node. And so um, at the same time, I, I don't think there's a way to stop it, right? Like SegWit, um, you know, enabled the discount. And then Taproot increase the script size. And if we want to do interesting things, if we want to build on Bitcoin, then that script size needs to be larger. Um, I think it's unfortunate a little bit that the um, the witness discount is slightly less, such that um, you know most of the ordinal data that's going on chain is paying a lower fee than your typical as a percentage uh, compared to your typical transaction. So um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my kind of like brief you know beef with ordinals, but I, I also don't think there's a good way to stop it. So right. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, I know you're on the other side of the aisle, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. Um, I'm. Uh, I think that there's a race going on between BTC the asset and BTC block space, and when I look at scarcity being such a big function on both the asset and, and the number, but also block space to keep fees high, um, I'm definitely in the maxi camp of. Long term payments are going to be the highest value bidders of block space for sure, but in the short term, like most people, it just shocks me. Most people live paycheck to paycheck globally, so they don't think long term. So they're going to do short term behavior, and so for Bitcoin to sustain in the interim, I think you're going to have twenty different oddball things like ordinals that are going to fill up fee revenue. Until and then, as payments come online more, they're going to keep getting pushed out and die, and we're gonna, we're going to see that twenty times over the next twenty years. That's that's my like long term. I agree with you. Short term, I think that it's a necessary but insufficient adoption thing for Bitcoin. Is how I view it. Well, oh, I want. I think one of the good things that comes from ordinals is that it um, encourages a lot of developers that were even in Ethereum to come over and build on Bitcoin. And so, what I hope is that they go and they start building with ordinals and then they realize, hey, there's this other ecosystem that exists here. I want to build more on Bitcoin. And then they start doing that. And so that's that's my hope for it. Um, the, the thing that I hope doesn't occur is that there's a lot of new people that come in and there's a lot, there's not too many like pump and dump schemes that occur that, you know, a lot, there's a lot of grifters I find in the ordinal space. And so I hope that there's not too many people that end up losing their shirt by, you know, going out and trading ordinals. It's like, hey, you know, maybe that gets you into Bitcoin, but I hope that you, you know, put some Bitcoin in cold storage um, so that you're saving for the long term and start building that generational wealth. Yeah, agree. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's weird right now because it, it, obviously we're in like the depths of the bear market still. Um, it depends on where you're building. Like I, when you're a builder, you're just kind of heads down doing stuff. So the bear market's kind of irrelevant. But yeah, you saw since I paid just to it probably more than you do, like the ordinals craze was like hyped for three months and now it's like, doomers doomsday non-stop it's like ordinals are dead entries are dead but it'll be back like the number will go up people will come in to speculate all the usual things that happen every cycle but let's jump back on the atomic so for people that 
want to try it out, we haven't really gone into like, if I'm a BTC holder, what what am I doing when I go use Atomic? Like, what's the benefits? How do I interact with it? Break it down a little bit. Absolutely. So it's really simple. Atomic's just a mobile app that allows folks to earn a return or a yield on their Bitcoin. Uh, but they were able to do that actually in a transparent manner. So if we recall, what we allow for folks is to invest basically in passive strategies. So this is a this is a really great alternative to some of the other things that we saw last year. Last year, we saw things like Celsius, like BlockFi, that were earn, able to earn you a return on your Bitcoin or yield on your Bitcoin, but they were done in a completely non-transparent manner, right? You had to go and deposit your Bitcoin into a black box. And at the end of the day, you didn't know how they were lending out your Bitcoin. They didn't, you didn't know where your Bitcoin was going. And what did we end up with? Well, we ended up in a situation where, you know, $20 billion in Bitcoin was was lost over the course of last year. That's like the GDP of El Salvador, right? It's crazy. And so what we wanted to build was a way for folks to earn a return in a manner that was very transparent. So using these passive strategies, what you do is you invest into a DLC for a month at a time. And what we do is we enter you into what's called a covered call automated strategy. So first off, what is a covered call? It's really simple. It's just a simple you know, financial instrument that allows for you uh, to be willing to, you know, basically you get a premium or you get yield or a return for being willing to sell your Bitcoin at a certain price. So as an example, say the Bitcoin price today is $30,000 and I sell a call um, with a strike price. Um, so that's the you know, cost I'm willing to, to sell at, at 33000 So if Bitcoin stays below that, then I earn a premium, I earn a return. If it goes above, then, you know, I, you know, I have to sell Bitcoin at that price, which basically really just means I, I lose a small percentage of Bitcoin. You know, I might lose like 0.5% or 1%. Um, but what's really interesting about that is that no matter what happens, even if, if Bitcoin stays below, then I get more Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes above, then my Bitcoin's worth more in dollar terms. And so what most people don't really know how to trade options, right? Like people, most people aren't experts. And so that's why we automated it for folks so that, you know, the majority of the time, it's not even taking a position. It's not even in a, you know, a, a, a call option because um, a lot of the time, it's not a good time to take a position. Bitcoin's, you know, going up dramatically. So we designed it in a way where that if Bitcoin's going up, you know, dramatically, you know, it's not in a position. And whenever Bitcoin goes down, we take a position that allows you to earn that return. So it's like, you know, enjoy the pump um, and then earn a premium when the price goes down uh, is, is kind of the basic idea of what we think of. Got it. Yeah, it is the, these are like way, I kind of understand it, but it's way, I don't do any of this stuff. It's way too risky for me. I don't trust myself. Um, but what has been, and I, I'm using Atomic now. I, I, you guys onboarded me last week, so... We'll see how it goes. It's it's TBD. Haven't haven't seen hard numbers yet. But what is for people that want to try it out? What what has been the what's been the expected returns or has it been performing say over the past? Well, I guess when do you go? When do you guys officially go live? Yeah, so we went live with the latest iteration of the strategy in February this year, and we grew from you know just a couple Bitcoin invested to I think now we're at thirty eight Bitcoin invested, which is really exciting, and just looking to grow more. Um, generally, the returns uh, um, are uh, historically like 7.84% uh, uh, APY. But of course, with something like really what you're doing with this type of strategy is you're monetizing volatility, right? So 
Uh, in general, like a lot of people say, hey, this goes against the huddle mentality. You should just huddle your Bitcoin. But the way we see it is like take just a small percentage of your stack and you can put it into this in order to earn a return on it. If you're earning 7.84% APY, you know, annually, um, you know, that's, you know, you're doubling your money in nine years, right? And so this is just really an opportunity to be able to monetize that volatility because whenever Bitcoin's going up and down dramatically, that means the volatility is high and that means the premiums are high as well. Now, keep in mind, uh, during the bear market right now, so over the past couple of months, we've seen, you know, slightly lower returns, obviously, because the volatility hasn't been high. Bitcoin, you know, doesn't go up and down as, as much. But um, as we get into the next couple of months and we see more volatility as we get closer and closer to the bar bull market, that's when we're going to see more and more volatility in Bitcoin and even more premiums, uh, you know, being given out. So, uh, you know, very excited for that over the next couple of months. Got it. Okay. So a little under 8% currently year to date. Um, but going into the halving cycle, good time to be in this in this trading strategy. And it sounds like, yeah, I like what you said. The, I think Greg Foss says, you know, for most people, put 1% of your savings into Bitcoin as schmuck insurance, as he calls it. And for you guys, it's like the average hodler that's deep into Bitcoin has much more than 1% of their savings in Bitcoin because they're believers. And you're saying maybe take 1% of that and make it go to work for you. And you can do it in a non custodial way using something like Atomic. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you can even do like a DCA or something, right? Like, but, you know, that you really like the minimum you need to put in is 0.01, right? So that might be a, you know, a monthly DCA or a weekly DCA for you. And, you know, that's something you, you can put towards earning your return. And what we recommend to folks is, hey, just put a small amount in, test it out, try out the DLCs. All of this stuff sounds really complicated, but I'm sure you can, you could vouch for it, Jake. Um, you know, trying out the app is really simple. It's a, you know, one click button to, enter the process and we try to make, you know, DLCs are complicated, options are complicated, but we try to make it really, really simple for folks. Um, and that's really, I think our vision, right? Is, is to build a suite of sound financial tools that are super simple for your average person to access. And instead of going and using the exchange where you can be rugged at any point, why can't you, you know, like in a really simple manner, just access an application where you're holding your own keys at, at the end of the day. So we're really excited about that. Yep, I can definitely attest to, uh, you know, as I was learning more about DLCs, I was like, man, this is such a cool looking tech. Like, why is this not more, more common? And one of the big blockers, obviously, is wallet support. Like, it's just no one, it's kind of a chicken egg problem. Like, apps aren't being built because no wallet support. Wallet support isn't being built because no apps to use it. So you guys had to go straight to the building your own infrastructure with this beautiful app. And yeah, the onboarding experience is super nice. I even like the small touches where it's like, before you even make me create a wallet or import my wallet, um, uh, you have like some, the first step is just some education stuff, like a little bit of stuff about how trading works and the strategies. And then if you pass that bar where it's like, cool, I'm bonding enough that I'll risk some of my capital, then you do the wallet, wallet piece versus going straight to that friction point where it's like, ah, now I got to back up my key. Where am I going to write this down at? I don't even know if I trust you guys yet. So uh, the onboarding flow is really, really thoughtful, and the app has some really nice graphical data that you can just at a glance see how your stuff's doing. All this, H highly recommend it. Yeah, we really appreciate that, Jake, and and that's something we've been focused on a lot is education around this stuff. Like, you know, making it really simple. Like, what is what is a cover call? Like, what is a what is a DLC? Like, just these simple things that you know just give you a better sense of security about what you're using at the end of the day. Because 
you know, um, the last thing we want is someone, you know, uh, using something that they don't really know what they're doing and they don't know what the risks are ahead of time. And so that's so important, I think, to put out to people. There's, uh, we just heard so many, you know, horror stories of people investing in this product or that product. Hey, I'm getting 12% APY and they disappear overnight. And so I think for us, like being able to build that thing where you can get that transparency right in, you know, in, um, you know, right in your fingertips is just, is just so important. And I, I think we need to see more folks building stuff like this. Like this is what needs to be built on Bitcoin. Uh, these financial tools where, you know, you don't need to go to a, uh, an exchange. You can, you know, you do it in the palm of your hand and you can have your own keys and um, you can make, you could verify exactly where your funds are at all times. I, I think that's like, those should, that should be the basics. That should be the bare minimum for, you know, people building on Bitcoin. 100%. Yeah, and any builders listening, I would say if you can, and I'll I'll drop the links below, but check out the way you guys have built it because there is a big problem in Bitcoin with UX. Most people will take shortcuts in doing things like introducing a wallet too early, um, and so your guys is your guys is decisive thinking around product and how you guys have like built this out. It's been inspiring to watch for me. Because DLCs, again, are like very hard thing, very early. And I'm sure it made your design time longer to build it this way. But it, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Like your traction numbers are above most for a new product. So uh, spending that extra time and doing it right, especially on the product and thinking about the user side, will go a long way. Yeah, 100%. Well, and I think the other thing as well is that and that's something we spend a lot of time on. And, and because I think that one of the things that's important in Bitcoin um, is is like long term, right? If we look at the long term of Bitcoin, um, you know, like the the default for Bitcoin is custody because most people just find that as an easier user experience. But the only way that the non-custodial tools are going to win is if they're super simple. And so I think for any builders out there, like let let like let's let's build the simplest UX that we possibly can for folks to make sure that they have control of their own money. Because if we don't, then, you know, the, the custodial solutions will win. And, you know, one day those people are going to be rugged. And so um, I, I think the, like the, like the vision I have and the vision that we have is that why can't, why can't the, the most secure and um, uh, the most like non-custodial tools, why can't they be the easiest, right? Writing down your, your C phrase is easier than having to go through KYC, right? So why can't that be the simple solution for people long-term? So um Yo, we just got to keep building it. It's it's funny. It makes me think of how I kind of opened it with the the young crowd is ideologically motivated, and it's like that that stance you just said. I couldn't agree with more. Of like, why can't the non custodial be the easiest to use? But I think for a lot of builders, it's like that's why it's hard. Like you can't the, the trade offs. That's why we do trade offs. That's why this LED wallet is custodial because they have to versus like, I'm not going to accept that you have to, we're going to build it this way. It's possible. The more people that spend the mental cycles doing it, the more we'll crack that piece. Um, so yeah, it's just, a, it, word choice is super important. I think the way that you're phrasing it, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to settle. We shouldn't settle as a community. You can get both. You can do not custodial and make it super freaking easy to use. Yeah, it's like settle and get rugged or don't settle and prosper for generations to come. <laughs> Bro, please make that bumper sticker that 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 belongs to me passionate everywhere. Well said. Uh 
Okay, I want to start to bring this to a close, but sound finance is such a big topic and it covers so many things. It, it's a great mission statement to get behind. And you, you guys are starting what you've done with DLCs and this trading strategy, but I can't imagine that's your end all be all. So when you're, what's what's coming down the pipeline? What do you guys want to be working on? Like, what's your vision for, let's say the next like two years out, three years out? Yeah, for sure. So obviously passive strategies is the first, but that's, you know, definitely not the end of the road for us. Um, we want to add additional strategies for folks as well. Um, one of this is um, uh, building in, you know, uh, kind of downside protection strategies for folks. Like a lot of people, they hold Bitcoin all the way up in the bull cycle and they hold it all the way down. There's ways that you can kind of optimize around that. Another thing that's really interesting down the line is uh, stable sats. So the ability to get uh, stability basically um, using something like a DLC. Imagine you have um, in your Lightning wallet, you have a, um, a Bitcoin balance and a USD balance, but that's actually all backed by Bitcoin um, and settled using the Lightning network. And speaking of the Lightning network, uh, that's something that we plan to integrate um, early next year. You can actually do DLCs directly on Lightning. Um, and um, that also means that, you know, something like Atomic would become a Lightning app as well. And so imagine you could, you know, uh, you're earning stats, um, using a passive strategy, but you're also able to, you know, send sats back and forth. You're also able to have, you know, a stable sats balance in your wallet. Imagine you can send like sats, you know, imagine you have, you have a certain balance, right? Like I want to send you, Jake, I want to send you $10 USD, right? Imagine if I'm doing that using stable sats, you know, what it does is it closes the DLC. It's just doing a short position. It closes the DLC. It sends it over lightning. You can get it on your end and you enter another DLC on your end to have $10 USD. And this is all settled using Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is the settlement layer of money for humanity. And, you know, I think that's what we can do with this. So, um, yeah, really, really bullish on, on integrating all those things in the future. Love it. Love it. Okay. Last, last question. Um, I don't always ask this question, but I'm, I'm curious of your, of your thoughts. So you've, you've been building in DLCs mostly. You can't use DLCs in this answer. Out of all the things you've been working, like read about, seen in the communities, what are you most excited about right now? What What are you most bullish on that's kind of like coming down the pipeline? Maybe it's theoretical. Maybe there's some new code shift. Like, what are you excited about? That's a really good question. I think that um, there's two things I'm really excited about. I'm going to say the non-DLC answer first. Um one of those things is um, what's being built with Arc. So for you know listeners that might not know, Arc is a new potential scaling solution. Um, one of the big problems with Lightning is inbound liquidity, and it solves that by basically having you know a service provider. And so um, you know as a new potential scaling solution for Bitcoin, I think Arc is really bullish. You can have non-custodial, a layer essentially of you take your UTXO and you can lift it into a virtual uh, VTXO. Uh, I'll be able to send that to anyone. Now, one of the challenges is a significant amount of capital lockup. Um, but I think really, like, if you just take Michael Saylor's capital and you you take three times that, you could actually do every single transfer on Bitcoin in the course of a month. So it's it's fairly possible. So I think something like that could really allow Bitcoin to scale even better than Lightning, as long as you can get enough, like, capital lock on the service provider side. So I'm really bullish on ARC. Um, and you would also potentially be able to do DLCs on top of this. So you could imagine, you know, um, 
one of the problems in general for DLCs is if you do it on chain, you can create a marketplace for it. But if you do it on Lightning, you always need to have a market maker on the other side of the channel. But on something like Arc, you wouldn't necessarily require that because you know anyone can send funds to anyone else, just like you can on Bitcoin base layer. Um, so I think that could be a really nice marketplace that could be built on Arc. Um, the other thing that's I think really exciting is uh, obviously CTV, um, check template verify. That can actually allow instead, like you might have noticed, Jake, like when you entered a DLC on the app, it took like one or two minutes to enter. That can be that can be lowered down to two or three seconds using something like CTV because you can you don't have to do all the pre-signing of transactions. So, um, and then CTV also enables Arc to be done. So you know there you you hit two birds with one stone if you get CTV. So really excited about that. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um... For quick question on art, because I'm in that phase right now where I keep hearing about it, but until the like thought leaders come to consensus, I'm kind of hands off, and they're very much in like in the exploratory phase. It seems like, what's the current state of art? Is it theoretical, no code? Is it code starting to be written? Is it like wait? Is it code mostly written, waiting for the soft fork war, trying to get nodes to consensus? Like, where is it currently at right now? So my understanding is that um, originally when Barack uh, proposed ARC, um, there's two versions of it, right? There is an interactive version and a non-interactive version. So an interactive version would um, would use multi-sigs essentially to allow for the process to be done. But the problem with that is it needs all participants that are using it to be online. And so that's a very high requirement. Um, you need, What do you need to do? You need to run a node in order to use something like ARC. Um, and I, I just don't think that's going to happen. And so um, the alternative is obviously it requires a soft fork. Now, they originally thought that APO um, would also enable something like ARC. It turns out that it doesn't. You would need APO plus another change. On the other hand, CTV enables all of the things required for it. So it's kind of two possible ways that this could go in terms of soft forks. Either we get APO plus, um, I think it's called TX hash, or we get CTV um, and either of those kind of enable um, ARC to be done. Now, I know that Barack, I believe, was um, assembling a team in order to build some code, initial code for ARC to actually work. Um, and I think at the moment, uh, the latest that I heard is they were deciding on whether to build the interactive version or the non-interactive version. And obviously, the non-interactive version would need to be built on something like Signet or some type of testnet for Bitcoin that included CTV. So... Um, Obviously, we're definitely in the idea stage. Like, there could be more things that aren't compatible that haven't been thought of or edge cases. Um, it's completely hypothetical idea. Code needs to be written. Things need to be broken. Um, but it's very promising uh, in the short term. So uh, we'll see what happens. Excellent. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, well, cool. This has been a fantastic convo, Matt. Thank you. Any, any closing thoughts, things you want to you know, say to the eyes before you close out? Yeah, I think I think there just needs to be, you know, if you're a, a builder building on Ethereum right now, if you're someone who's thinking of building on Bitcoin or thinking about making a switch, I think like now is a great time to get in during the bear market and, and, and you know, uh, dip your toes in and try things out. Um, I think I'm bullish on DLCs. People are sleeping on them. They've been sleeping on them for years and I think we're just at the precipice of these really coming to light. So 
Um, you know, if you're interested in you know testing it out, uh, we always recommend hey try out Atomic with a small amount of funds. Get get your toes wet with DLCs. Uh, try you know learning learning Rust and um, checking out the libraries that exist there. I think uh, I think there's a lot more things that need to be built that haven't been built and we're just getting started. So um, you know don't don't be afraid to try it out. Love it. Great, great call to action for the builders. No better time to build on Bitcoin than right freaking now. So let's go. Okay, well, uh, if people want to try on Atomic or connect with you, hit them with the obligatory links. Absolutely. You can check it out, us out on Twitter at Atomic Finance or URL is atomic.finance. Uh, we're uh, open betas available, so you can download download the app and try it out. Um, yeah. And what's the... Um... What's the minimum someone needs right now in BTC? And we can give like the the BTC amount and maybe the USD amount to make it easier people. Uh, what do they got to bring to try out the beta? Absolutely, they just need zero point zero one Bitcoin to get started. Uh, that's three hundred USD. That might be one DCA or one monthly DCA for you. Um, and that's the trial amount. And then after that, it goes up to zero point zero four. But you know, you only need three hundred dollars to to try it out and, and test it. So yeah, perfect. Yeah, uh, highly recommend. You know, I'm 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 currently trying it. Take a little bit of your hot hope stash, and you know, put it to use, and you can do a bunch of things. I'm I'm a big believer in experimentation and like talking your own bag. So, uh, you get to see deal how DLCs work, how a kind of like purpose built app works with nice product, and you can earn some more Bitcoin potentially. So, I mean, it's a win 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 across the board. So I'll have links below for everything that Matt just mentioned. But uh, yeah, Matt. Fantastic conversation. Thanks for coming to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Jake. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like, subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. YouTube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain. Show me some love. I reply to every DM. And if you are a Bitcoin builder that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases, whether it's L1, Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, Rollups, Ordinals, BRC20, uh, I want to talk to you. So when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product, fundraising help as well as capital. So let me talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. Uh, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right, peace. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things won't always go your way, but I'll be right here. Trying to figure out a way to make it out, make it out, cause I don't think about.